0: This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. So what is the best way to respond to the COVID-19 outbreak? A new report by members of the Wharton Healthcare Management Department takes a look at how management research could play a role. Uh, Rob Burns is a professor of healthcare management. Ingrid Nemhard is an associate professor of healthcare management. They joined me on the phone to discuss their work that they had just concluded, and it was co-authored by uh, Stephen Shortell, who's a professor at the University of California at Berkeley. Rob, Ingrid, thank you very much for your time. Hope you are both doing well during all of this.
1: Yes, we are. Thanks.
2: Yes, yeah, thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. Rob, start with you. What was it about management research that, that links to what we're going through right now and how organizations can, can try to navigate through this process?
1: Well, you know, that managing through this crisis is uh, somewhat akin to managing corporate strategy. You basically have uh, no idea what you're doing. Things are chaotic. Things are in flux. Uh, the environment's volatile. environment's uncertain. The environment's complex. The environment's ambiguous. This is uh, uh, material that Ingrid's written more on than I have, so I'll let her describe all that. And so trying to manage corporate strategy in an environment like that is sort of akin to managing our way through the COVID crisis. And so this has some direct uh, managerial and strategy implications.
0: Ingrid?
2: Yeah, I think Rob is absolutely right. I think when we saw this happening, we thought management research has a lot to say about this situation. As Rob was saying, this is a lot about corporate strategy. It's a lot about crisis management. It's a lot about how do you adapt quickly to unprecedented change. And these are all subjects that we've been researching in management research, general management research, but I think also in healthcare management research for some time now. And so it seemed that there was a need to to remind the world that there is something out there. There is knowledge already out there about how we might think about responding to situations like these. COVID is unprecedented. There's no doubt about that. But... We have some tools. We have some knowledge that can help us start to think about how we address this situation. There are some things we can, if we could remind someone, we might actually yield a more positive circumstance for everybody.
0: Well, Ingrid, let's dig into a few of these, and, and one of the ones that, that you and, uh, and Rob mentioned uh, right at the top of your list is put people first. And, and obviously, that's something that in, in the healthcare side, they are very much aware of. And, and I think now more on the business side, we're becoming aware of because of the fact that, that many of us are working from home.
2: Right, absolutely. I think healthcare may or may not be special in this regard, in the sense that it's an industry that has always put people first. We've put those people first, those people being patients. Right, they're at the center of everything that is done in the healthcare delivery space. But I think, just as you were saying, we've now realized, we've now understood essential personnel, and that's not just healthcare workers. There are a variety of uh, first responders that we now recognize. But certainly, I think it has put the focus and spotlight on the people who are actually delivering care to patients, not just the patients themselves, and really shown us the importance of thinking about them. And this. The circumstances have been really interesting, I think, because what we've seen is certainly there have been situations where we have heard about all the wonderful, um, sort of, gratefulness among healthcare workers for the opportunity to serve and be useful. But we've also, I think, all seen the media reports that show how hard this is for them, yeah. that there is fear in whether they might bring the infection home to their family, their anxiety, their frustration about access to. Um, protective equipment. There is discouragement uh, at the death rate. Those are real emotions. Those are negative emotions that many are dealing with. And we would be remiss if we ignored those and we didn't pay attention to them. And we really thought about putting the people who are doing the work first. That's just, I think, fundamental in order for us to be able to address this situation well.
0: well Rob, one of the other uh, points that, that you bring up in the, in the piece uh, is titled Create Outside Partnerships. And, and just thinking about, you know, what we've seen in the last few weeks with so many different companies that are are making PPE and, and companies like 3M and General Motors that are making ventilators. And, and you're talking about companies that maybe are not normally in this industry, wouldn't think to be industry, industry but because of what's going on, it allows the opportunity to create a partnership.
1: Yeah, uh, there, there's so many of these interesting things going on, uh, all with the goal of improving public health. And public, we've had public health improvements in the in on the 19th century, which were phenomenal, and had a major impact on the uh, health status of the population. But we don't pay much attention to public health anymore. And then this COVID crisis comes along, and everybody re- realizes, man, this stuff is important. And so you have these, you have the CDC which, uh, you know, it doesn't get a whole lot of airplay unless there's, you know, some flu going around, playing a major role now and then working in tandem with state government, federal government, local government, hospitals, uh, private sector manufacturers, all in this sort of concerted effort to deliver on products, which, you know, nobody, to be honest, nobody ever gave a a thought about. (laughs) Uh, and it's required these extraordinary alliances between public sector, private sector, uh, at multiple levels of the government, multiple, multiple levels of, uh, you know, geographic organizations, federal, state, county, local, uh, to pull some of this off. And it's been remarkable to see, but boy, it sure takes a lot of political will, and it takes even a lot more money to, to spend to pull all this off. But this is, you know, you have to think back. You know, it was less than half a year ago uh, we were dumping on the pharmaceutical industry for the rising uh, cost of health care and rising drug prices. Now, look what's happened in six months. We're now almost lionizing these companies that are making vaccines and, and uh, therapies and things like that. And we're actually thankful that that industry exists and they're working in partnership with all these companies, too. So it's just been a phenomenal transformation, and it's actually been an interesting laboratory to watch these alliances develop.
0: Ingrid, then, I guess my next question for you is whether or not these partnerships that have have come out of this coronavirus pandemic are able to continue long term. and, And maybe able is the wrong word, but... But, but will they uh, continue long-term? Because I think there's going to be a necessity to have some of these moving forward for whatever the next crisis is at some point down the road.
2: I mean, I think that's the big question on the table. I think we all would say that we hope that that will be the case. It will take organizations, once we get through this, and they pause, I hope that the reflection would lead them to see how beneficial it has been to form these partnerships in isolation. And, of course, we have a competitive marketplace, but there are still opportunities for real meaningful partnership that is beneficial to organizations and to the public health, and that's really a win-win. I think that's what that has shown us, the flexibility of manufacturing to be able to develop ventilators to switch their production practices to realize the value of flexibility in operations, these are all things that I hope organizations and industries will appreciate as they, you know, I think there will be some things that we'll feel badly about, but there will be some things that we can pat ourselves on the back about and say, you know what, we learned something here. And I think with regards to partnerships, that's something that I hope uh, organizations will, will appreciate and start to leverage and think about how to do that. Not just in moments of crisis, but also for the way the world works now, it's just a, a new normal state, whatever that new normal state will be.
0: One of the other ones... Go ahead, Rob.
1: It just said, and that is just the fact that they've developed these working partnerships now may actually bode well for the future. <laughs> you know, prior to this, they had no interaction whatsoever. And now mm-hmm. they get, you know, the familiarity may, may breed some uh, contentment here. Who knows?
0: Yeah, and and that I guess to a degree leads me into. I, I wanted to touch on one of the other ones that that you bring up, uh, attention to teamwork and, and communication, and obviously it's 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 a unique change that we've gone through, Ingrid, in the last few weeks, uh, in the fact that you know, you know, I'm doing a radio show from home. Uh, my my work that I'm doing with my producers is either through email or text or. You know, I'm, my other uh, employees that I work with in in the office will use Zoom conference calls or Blue Jeans conference calls, to, you know, to be able to make that contact. We're talking about to a degree; it feels like a, a new normal.
2: It is absolutely a new normal, and this has been transformative in the way that we communicate. I mean, how many of us maybe two weeks ago or two months ago did not even know what Zoom was? Now we have we each have Zoom accounts, Blue Jeans accounts, Microsoft Teams accounts. Google Duo, I mean, there's just a whole suite of ways for us to communicate that no longer rely on sort of in-person, in conversation. Now, I think the research would say there are pros and there are cons to that. Um, You know, as we start to think about communicating, maybe it opens up an opportunity for more to be said than would have been said before. But we also know that there's something to be said for the personal touch of being able to see someone's expressions in real time. And we can see that But at the same time, we miss just a little bit in that environment. The importance of teamwork and communication, though, I think has been really showcased how much we depend on our communication channels and strategies. Teamwork is something, even in healthcare, we've been talking about the shift to team-based care for the last couple of years and how important it is. This situation has caused us to see how really, really important it is. We have new members of the team who've never worked together before. We have people with various expertise, how do you get everybody on the same page in order to deliver the coordinated response that we need, that that question is before us now and we're thinking about that in serious ways and we're accomplishing it and I think that's a big win.
0: So so Rob then, how does that impact what the leaders of companies have to be thinking about moving forward?
1: Well, you know, I think it's the last point that um, that Ingrid and the other two of us came up with in the uh, article. And then there's is this issue of humility. Let me just uh, give you a quick illustration. You know, prior to the COVID crisis, we focused on brand drugs, the price of brand drugs, all the high-tech equipment and healthcare, care, um, all the high-end stuff that got everybody's attention was very expensive. There's a particular type of high-end materials called PPIs, or physician preference items. <laughs> and now... Thanks to COVID, we're talking about just the opposite. We're talking about PPEs, you know, personal protective equipment, masks, gowns, things like that. These are things that, you know, two months ago were totally boring and uninteresting, and now they become fascinating and important. And in addition to the PPEs, we're also talking about generics and the active pharmaceutical ingredients that go into generics and where those products come from. This has just turned our whole world upside down. The stuff we thought was important may not be as important as we thought. It may be these more low-tech commodity-type things that we actually need to rely on. And for someone who studies the supply chain like I do, that was incredibly humbling because I was asked, you know, as soon as the crisis began, you know, what do you think about PPEs? And to be honest, I didn't know anything about it. So I've been humbled, and I think all (laughs) hospital executives have been humbled because they didn't know anything about it either.
0: Let me ask you a a final question to both of you, and and Ingrid, I'll I'll start with you. The the fact still at play here is, though, uh, where we stand right now, we don't have a vaccine for the coronavirus. There's going to be some impact. Obviously, it's been discussed whether or not there's going to be an impact in the fall or next spring uh, from this at some point. So all of these elements that you've laid out, how how are they impacted by the fact that this is still something that could potentially be ongoing in six months, 12 months, whatever that time frame may be.
2: So I think if we put together these principles and let me just say what they are. So everybody is clear about them. We have these five principles we think will help healthcare organizations and leaders and really leaders across industries manage situations like this that are actually ongoing. You have to put people first. You have to manage your operations creatively. You have to attend to teamwork and communication. You have to create outside partnerships, and you have to embrace clear and humble leadership. And particularly because this is likely to be a continuing situation, these principles are ever more important. They're not just specific to the fact that we're in crisis, but these principles are things that should help organizations navigate and adapt quickly, not just for pandemics, but in the world in which we live now, which is going to continue to be complex. It's going to continue to be ambiguous. Uncertainty is part of life now. And so these principles, I think, will help us navigate that.
0: Rob, your thoughts? You know, uh,
1: there are a lot of things here, and there's an evidence base for all of these things. It's, the hard thing is just keeping them in mind and doing them on a consistent basis and building up a habit pattern of doing them and overcoming a lot of the uh, you know, dysfunctionalities that we see in bureaucracies and hierarchical command and things like that. But a lot of these lessons come out of the military, and England's documented some of that. And there's a lot we can learn from other sectors on how to manage our way through these crises.
0: Great having you both with us. Thank you very much for your time today. Be safe. And we'll look forward to seeing you uh, back on campus at some point.
2: Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you. Ingrid Nemhard, Associate Professor of Healthcare Management. Uh, Rob Burns, Professor of Healthcare Management at the Wharton School. As we mentioned, they worked with uh, Stephen Shortell, Professor at Cal Berkeley, on uh, this uh, paper. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.